0: Welcome to this special episode of Upfront with me, Simon Jordan. 2023 has been the first year of this podcast series with William Hill. Now, we're in the perfect position to review all the episodes we've done this year so far. Over the next few minutes, I shall be asked for my highlights and lowlights of the series so far. As you all know by now, I've tried to ensure that my opinions are neither vacuous or uninformed. So I'll be telling you all what it's like behind the scenes with the guests I've interviewed this year. And you might even learn something along the way.
1: What was your favourite upfront anecdote of 2023?
0: I had an embarrassment of riches about favourite anecdotes, but probably um, the one that had the most length and breadth to it was Billy Joe Saunders with its ridiculousness from mooning people on a jet ski to driving Andy Murray insane by knocking on his door at all hours and wanting to play video games with him to a variety of other things that Billy Joe Saunders get up to whilst on an Olympic camp.
1: Which guest has overcome the greatest adversity?
0: One of the things that you find in these podcasts is you get a lot of information about people's backgrounds and the challenges that they've overcome and the adversity that they had to face. And two of the guests that came up to me in the conversations of, with having real challenges that were admirable to overcome was Lawrence Delalio, which was the loss of a family member and the absolute despair that it took him and his family to and how he recovered from that and, in some essence, used it as a catalyst. And then there was Troy Deeney, uh, a different end of the scale, circumstances of his own making, um, where he found himself on the wrong end of the law in prison. But what it brought about in him, the change in him as a man, because I came away from the conversation with Troy with a great deal of regard for him and being impressed by the change that it had made in his life and with Lawrence, I came with a deep-seated admiration to have, to, have, to have had the challenges to have lost a sister and to have seen the devastation in his family, yet to have used it to, to harness a force that unleashed him on the rugby field, I thought was remarkable. Which interview did you think might never happen? Chris Eubanks Sr. Not because we couldn't get him. There were others we couldn't get, like the uh, Scarlet Pimpernel posing as Joe Calzaghi, um, but Chris Eubank, because he was bloody difficult before the show. We had about 10 minutes of peacock mode, of walking around and preening and debating and arguing and accusing me of being a journalist and, and necessarily taking exception at the wind blowing from the West. Um, so there was a moment, and I think only where everyone felt it in the studio, was he's not going to do this bloody show. But he did. In fact, here's a little bit of what he was like behind the scenes.
1: You better be getting this on film, guys.
0: <laughs> okay, so... Did you have a decent interview and discussion with you and I the last time I saw you? Yeah, but, I, I, but I've, I've got to know you a little bit. And now you don't like me very much. It's not that I don't like you, it's that you are um, you're wearing more than one face. No, at all. You can't say that. You don't know me. Any more than I can say things well, about you? Well, I can actually prove it to you in, in a conversation that if you'd like to listen to it. Okay. So you criticise you criticize outrightly my son. No, not at all. Wrong. To it, your, to your son. Child? Yes, context. Have you got the context of that? Yes, I've got the context okay. of it. But well, we what? can discuss that, can't we? Who surprised you the most? There's always that element of surprise because what you're doing if you're doing if I'm doing what I should be doing properly I'm getting something from people that other people haven't been able to get. My objective when talking to these guys is to take them into a place where you get something more. Take them out of their comfort zone, put them in a space where they feel that they can speak openly and freely, but also they give you more insight. And the guy that that took me to a place that I suppose shouldn't have surprised me given the nature of his achievements was AP McCoy. I don't have any great interest in horse racing. But what I found myself doing in an interview was watching the absolute embodiment of what a winner looks like. And when he talks to you about what he did to overcome adversity, the broken bones, the challenges that he overcame to be a champion jockey, and even his preparedness to get third degree burns by going into an ice chamber just to do something better than Chef Gikuki uh, in terms of staying in there, it gave me an insight. Because we all think that we know what winners look like. We all think that we can point at them. But when you've got one right in front of you and he takes you into a space and shows you what winning really looks like, it's actually quite surprising.
1: What was your favourite upfront argument?
0: Like you would expect in a, in a podcast called Upfront and with the personalities involved, you're going to have um, contentious issues. You're going to have debates and different points of views. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with having different points of view. In fact, you should have different points of views and people should be able to disagree without falling out. Two strong conversations, and both of them had an effect upon me. One slightly more than the other um, was the debate with John Barnes about um, two facets, racism in football and the representation of, of managers and also the opportunities that he wasn't given as a manager. Um, and my counter view on that, given he never applied to me for a job, and Stuart Broad, and what I considered to be a slightly uh, whining article that he had written in the mail about his time of not being picked for England. And both of them were very interesting debates, because both of them were very strong in their opinions, strong in their rebuttal of my observations. And it was enjoyable, because it changed my view. And I think that's a great thing. What's the purpose of a mind if you can't change it? What was that whining rubbish that you wrote in the mail? Which bit? <laughs> the,
1: the whole article. You what, when going, you got left out?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I read it at the time and I thought, oh, fuck off. Mm. You haven't been picked. And I'm sure you will disappointed. Why was I not picked? Well, I don't know, mate. But in life, we don't always get what we want. It's
1: an interesting point. Because actually, you'd have not enjoyed the original article if that's the one you saw. <laughs> okay. um, I suppose where my red mist came from is... Who is an interim director of cricket who's not going to do the job in two months' time to drop me and Jimmy? Well, uh, I don't, and, but I, don't I was disagree, also at the stage I, don't where I thought England, you were wrong. I thought I, my I career was over, so I was a bit
0: like, "Fuck it, yeah, yeah, I don't care."
1: Has a guest ever changed your mind about them as an individual?
0: I don't tend to spend my life dwelling on what people are, what they're not. I don't get too much. We're all guilty of it, into preconceived perceptions, but there was an element of me that was, yeah, Barry McGrigan was this and Barry McGrigan was that. And um, when I sat with him, I found him a fascinating character. You know, obviously we've done other shows where there were conflicting information about his relationship with Carl Frampton and and circumstances there. But when I sat there with Barry, I was actually irritated with myself that I had sometimes not let him to speak as much as he should have done. And I actually phoned him after the show to say how brilliant he was in the show how much i'd learned from him and how much integrity i came away thinking he had because he was a man of real substance and i enjoyed listening to him and i felt that i'd come away from a conversation um as you should do and as i have done in many occasions but this one really stuck with me knowing a lot more about somebody and appreciating them a lot more than when i started
1: which guest brought the most intensity when they
0: sat in that chair opposite you In all of the conversations, there is intensity. What I like to describe as jeopardy, because I like to think that when we're producing a show and putting it together, that we create subject matter which gets people involved and engaged and gets past all the nonsense and gets to the bottom line like we describe. And what you want to do is you want to see raw emotion, not people crying and, and, and getting upset, but people actually trying to take you into a space when you're talking about something that happened in their life and taking you with them. And there was nobody who did that better than Carl Froch. Carl Froch brought a a huge amount of intensity into the studio. Um, Not unnerving intensity, but actual, you know, the, the ability to visualize what he was feeling at a particular time. And that was specifically around his fight with George Groves. And actually both fights. When Carl actually talks about how he wanted to deal with George Groves. And it was like, Kyle was in that moment and by, by being in that moment, because people can dial it in and and make you f- believe that they're taking you somewhere, but he was really in the moment, taking me to what he thought of Groves, how his gloves felt, how he was gonna put his fist into George Groves' face. And it came with a real ferocious intensity, whilst of course describing to me that he had changed. And he was a very mild man now. Um, so it was Kyle that brought the most intensity into the studio. The respect side of things that it existed in the Kessler uh, duopoly of fights completely not there at all in the George Groves set of fights. What was it that about his attitudes and his outlook that irritated you because irritated you so much that you got to a point where he affected you? What was it about him? Well, a lot of the times I think if you get angry, if somebody else makes you angry, a lot of the time it's a reflection of yourself. Yeah. In my head, I was probably probably immature. I was a bit stupid. And I bit to every little thing he said. He said, You've not beaten anyone. And he said, You're slow. You're not that good. You do everything wrong. I'm like, Raging. <laughs> like stressed Eric when the vein comes and strangles him. And he's like, You remember oh, he that? Did come out with, I mean, they did come out with some great lines. Come out with some great ones. You don't need a sports psychologist. You need a psychiatrist. <laughs> that was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah, he had some, he had some good ones. Yeah. And he got me chomping at the bit and he got me fuming. And if I'm honest, I absolutely fucking despised George Groves <laughs> before that first fight. I, wanted, yeah. I, wanted, I, do, I would never have guessed. I wanted to smash his head in so badly. Yeah. And it's ridiculous because you can't go into a ring thinking to yourself, I just want to cave his head in. Yeah. I want to smash his You've face You've got to have some professional like, focus. And that's what I was trying to do. Who was the most fun to chat to in the green room? I think they were all fun. Uh, you know cuz one of the things that we do before the show is set it up you know people know what we are and what i am and what i'm likely to be like um but there's also a misconception that this is a show or it has been initially that people were looking for certain things from people we're not we're looking for people to be blunt and honest and transparent and and you get interesting conversations but i think the most enjoyable conversations was with um Ruth Hullett because you're you're, you're talking to someone that's operated at the highest level in a game that has no appreciation of that, no awareness of himself that, are, that people will look at him. He's Ballon d'Or winner, one of the greatest footballers that we've ever seen. That's won most things. Lifted trophies for his country, yet sits there spending the entire time telling jokes. Not often do you get around somebody that lifts the environment because he's so full of the joys of life and, and appreciation of whatever he's got in his life. So I just thought he was funny. Um, he was indiscreet. Um, and uh, he was very, very uplifting to be around. You know, I didn't—I don't know what I expected. You know, you got this—you got this idea in your minds when you think of Dutch people. You think of Louis van Gaal, don't you? You think of this superiority complex that they—that we perceive that they have. And Rude Hillett was anything but that. He was great fun, great fun, to, and I think it comes through in the in the recording. You know, and some of the anecdotes that he told. There were worse anecdotes off air that he couldn't tell on air, and he was just great fun to be around.
1: Who did you think was the most nervous before a recording?
0: I'd like to think that people weren't nervous because the object of the aim is not to bring people onto something that they're terrified because you're not going to get something from them. I'd like people to be on their A-game and aware of the fact that they're talking to somebody that might make them work harder than they've worked harder before. Um, And a degree of trepidation probably is not a bad thing because it gets the adrenaline flowing and it gets people thinking about what they're saying and engaged in what they're saying. Um... So, and again, the objective is not to create a nervousness in people. Um, I think probably one of the most anxious, besides me because it was one of the first ones I've done, um, was James Wade. Because there was lots of things that were going on. There were lots of moving parts with James. Darts players doing interviews isn't necessarily always the mainstream media sort of side of things. And also he has lots of challenges in his life and he knew that he was going to talk about them and he was emotionally invested in them. And because we had similar experiences, I could talk about some of the challenges that I had. I think it took away the initial feeling of nerves. And of course there's an awareness of me. I can be blunt, porno punches. I'm not frightened of saying things to people. Media isn't my career, so I don't worry about whether I'm going to get cancelled if I say something to somebody. It puts them in a space where they know they're going to have to answer questions. And once... James had got past the initial perception of, oh, we've got somebody here that uses big words and there's a wordsmith is going to have a go at me. And they understood that it was somebody that was really fascinating to hear what he had to say, he loved darts as a sport because I grew up with it, and actually embraced some of the, uh, the mental health challenges that James has suffered from. It turned into a really fascinating and brilliant interview. And I thought James did himself a real credit in it.
1: Whose sporting achievements did you admire the most?
0: We're fortunate, we've had an embarrassment of riches. And will continue to have so in the new year of people that can tell you wonderful things. And so when you're talking to champion jockeys that have the world record number of wins, when you're talking to cricketers like Ian Botham that did things that I grew up watching and, and my jaw dropped as a 13-year-old kid, when you're talking to former number one tennis players in Victoria Azarenka about what it takes to win a Grand Slam, um, and when you're talking to footballers that have done remarkable things like Michael Owen and, and Robbie Fowler and Ruud Hullett, it always leads me to one space, ironically, given that my involvement in sport and my ownership was football, that I find myself always alighting upon boxing because there's something about boxing that intrigues me. There's something about the spirit of a boxer that draws me in. There's something about the sport, although it's like every sport, it has its difficulties and its complexities. And sometimes over the year, that I've been doing this and, and in other spaces that I do it in, I find myself pulling my hair out, some of the fragility and 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 ridiculousness of the fight game. I always find myself drawn to fighting. So when I look at um, the interviews that I've done and the sporting achievements that I think are the most admirable, I, I, I find myself in the sort of Carl Froch territory um, with the performances that he put up during his career because... The, 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 the fortitude that he exhibited in the ring, the ability that he had, the fights that he had, um, were remarkable. And that George Groves fight that he describes, and I've described uh, earlier on in this about a moment when the intensity was in the studio. Um, I don't think I've seen a fighter being hit so many times. I've been to lots of fights in my life and seen lots of world title fights and domestic fights and always appreciated and admired them, but I don't think I've seen anyone hit as hard and as repeatedly as Carl Froch was in that fight, and for him to have overcome it and then gone on to beat George Groves so compellingly and convincingly in that fight um, makes me feel that that's a standout moment. Of course, I was fortunate, as as I t- discussed with Ricky Hatton, to have seen him fight Costa Zoo and the remarkable fan base that Ricky Hatton brought with him. So if I'm going to take away two moments and it's not to diminish any of the other ones these are just ones that flood to my mind as I'm being, answered this, answered, uh, being asked to answer this question with a degree of spontaneity it, it feels like Carl Froch and, and possibly Ricky Hatton in that conversation whereas all the others were equally valuable equally as important and equally as admirable but I'm going to go with Carl Froch his career and ultimately the, uh, the culmination of his career by the victory against George Groves right that brings us to the end of this episode i hope you've enjoyed coming behind the scenes in the pod in 2023 got some more really interesting guests coming up in the new year make sure you've hit follow on your podcast app so you don't miss a thing up front with me simon jordan is brought to you by william hill 18 plus please gamble responsibly